It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. It's 8.30 on Thursday, September 1st. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the White House approves the state's emergency declaration. We take a closer look at what that means for the city of Jackson. Then the purpose and pitfalls of targeted monkeypox vaccine campaigns. Plus how faith-based group Mission Mississippi is promoting racial reconciliation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The water crisis in Jackson continues as local and state officials try to get up main water treatment facility back to full operations. Yesterday, a rented temporary pump was installed at the O.B. Curtis water plant, which should produce an additional 4 million gallons of water per day. The facility stopped fully functioning earlier this week after floodwaters put an additional strain on the already troubled water system. The White House has approved a federal emergency declaration request from the state. This will allow federal resources to help local efforts to support the residents of Jackson. Mayor Shokwe and Tarlamumba spoke about the relationship between the level of government yesterday. The challenges that we have experienced in the city of Jackson uh, have been recognized on the highest level. Uh, I had a call today. I spoke uh, extensively uh, with the president. Uh, And I had a separate call with the vice president. Both assured me that the eyes of Washington are watching the city of Jackson. uh, And they wanted us to know that uh, we should expect the full uh, arm of support from the federal government in every way that they possibly can. Uh, This will be implemented through both uh, immediate measures, through FEMA supporting the efforts of MEMA uh, to provide relief in the immediate time frame with our residents, And they assured me that their support was going to be uh, demonstrated through long-range and long-term efforts through the EPA. Uh, And so I was delighted to hear that call. It was very encouraging. Uh, They wanted the residents of Jackson to know uh, that all of their efforts, uh, not only in things like the infrastructure bill, uh, but their efforts to uh, address communities uh, with the demographic makeup with the economic makeup of the city of Jackson is prime and center in terms of uh, their vision and, and their objectives. 
FEMA has appointed Alan Jarvis as the federal coordinating officer. There are parameters around how the federal government can assist state and local leaders during an emergency declaration. Region 4 Administrator Garcia Check breaks it down with MPB's Michael Guidry. The communities that are involved in this water crisis is what we saw. You know, the citizens that don't have water, whether it's drinking water, you know, more for life, life and health safety uh, is what we saw. Uh, so I am, sh- I, I am sure that is why the president did that declaration. And so what is the next step? Well, FEMA is involved. Uh, is the White House talked about federal assistance. Uh, what does that look like in terms of, of, of money, uh, human capital? Uh, what are, I guess, are the first steps in, in providing that assistance? And what does it look like? So what that means is this is public assistance. And this is all local governments with Heinz, including the city of Jackson, are eligible to apply for public assistance. And what that means is the declaration authorized reimbursement for emergency protective measures. Uh, you know, it's things like water distribution management. That could be an eligible reimbursement or, um, uh, you know, just things that they're doing for temporary repairs at the water treatment facility. Uh, but it also includes direct federal assistance. Uh, what that means is direct federal assistance. FEMA is authorized to assign missions to other federal agencies, and that's going to be based on Mississippi's request when the state and local governments that they may not be able to have the means to perform or contract for the work. And I'll give you examples of this assistance. It may include technical assistance to review and assess the water treatment facility or support the state in that review, uh, but also help with the uh, uh, distribution of commodities. Uh, We can help support if the state, uh, right now the state is supporting the city with water. Uh, If the state's contract uh, might not be able to do this, we can help support in getting water to those sites. FEMA will be sending someone to kind of facilitate the federal effort. Mr. Jarvis, what role will he be playing? Sure. He's the federal coordinating officer. His role is to support the state uh, in all of their efforts to, you know, help with this Jackson, Mississippi water crisis. Uh, We've also had a FEMA liaison at the State Emergency Operations Center to be there to be our eyes and ears and provide situational awareness. And have the conversations between uh, FEMA and uh, the, the the state government and the city government continued uh, throughout the week and the day, and will it continue? Oh yes, <laughs> you know we'll have we'll have not just uh, only the federal coordinating officer there. Uh, we'll have somebody that can help support the state with all the volunteer agencies that want to support this effort. Uh, we'll have public assistance people to help guide uh, not only Hines County, but the locals in the reimbursement process. So, you know, I've been on the phone uh, with Steve McCraney, the director of Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, uh, for quite some time now. And we are on, I will tell you, more than daily. And uh, the FEMA administrator, Criswell, she spoke with Governor Reeves last night. And that, that will all continue.
Uh, and um, I'm just kind of getting a snapshot here. Is there anything else about uh, the coordination, the relationship that I haven't asked you about that you think is important to articulate uh, as all levels of government search for solutions to the, the crisis that the city of Jackson's in? Sure. This is this is what we do. You know, we are that coordinating element, uh, the coordinating arm to help support the state in bringing in other agencies. So the relationship that we've had with Mississippi, with MEMA specifically, has been ongoing. Uh, we've been through this together over the past few years, whether it's storms, whether it's COVID. Uh, we've been together, and that will continue to be that way, is working together to uh, help with a solution, whether it be temporary or help support the state in their longer-term solution for this. FEMA Region 4 Administrator Gracia Check. While efforts to mend the water plant are underway, there have been setbacks with water pressure. Jim Craig with the Mississippi Department of Health says until otherwise notified, residents should not consume water from taps in their home. We started experiencing problems at OB Curtis. The operators and the staff at Fuel, who also had, had some issues with, with maintenance this, this morning, were able to step up production to help assist in some of the, the pressurization issues. I'd also like to reiterate that until further notice, all this, the, the water in the city of Jackson should be boiled. It should not be ingested and or drank unless it is boiled. You can shower or bathe. Please make sure in the shower that your mouth's not open because, again, you do not want to ingest the water currently. And that should also not consume the water. Boil it and let it cool. Moving on, the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition is partnering with the city of Jackson to distribute bottled water daily. A list of locations and times is available on MEMA's website, which is msema.org. Coming up, the purpose and pitfalls of targeted monkeypox vaccines campaign. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Monkeypox vaccinations are becoming more accessible in the state. There are at least 32 known cases of the disease in Mississippi, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. But the prevention effort is focused on those most at risk. Dr. Ben Brock is an infectious disease physician at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He explains the cases found in the state have been caused by sexual activity among gay men. He tells our Rhonda Dunaway there are lessons from the past that can improve public messaging when taking on targeted prevention campaigns. It began four years ago, at least that was when it was first recognized. And um, there were subpopulations that were seeing, um, that were carrying the the burden of the majority of cases. And uh, men of sex with men were the single largest group that were uh, just seeing a, a tremendous number of cases compared to the general population. Now, uh, the epidemic in Mississippi, for instance, uh, we have a very strong um, heterosexual epidemic here as well uh, of HIV. 
although um, men, have, men who have sex with men and transgender women still carry a disproportionate burden of HIV cases compared to the general population. It's important to understand epidemiology, though, um, so that individuals can understand their personal risk. And, um, you know, prevention efforts from a public health standpoint have to uh, be data-based, right? So um, if you have a subpopulation that's at higher risk of developing an illness, your prevention campaign would target those groups um, rather than targeting everybody. Um, But certainly with any kind of communicable disease, uh, stigma occurs. I think as far as risk to the general public, the general public is currently at least at very low risk of uh, developing monkeypox. We're seeing almost all of the monkeypox cases occurring due to sexual exposure. And so um, the the prevention campaign is really targeting the group that's at highest risk and other prevention efforts would really be focused around safe sex because uh, because sexual contact appears to be the main mode of transmission currently. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it actually passed because it says skin to skin, but is that in genitalia or is that anywhere on the body there's a lesion contacting another right, person's skin? Right. Yeah, so uh, household, household contacts, for instance, would be potentially at risk of monkeypox uh, if, if there were a case in uh, the home with monkeypox. However, we're really not seeing a lot of household contacts developing monkeypox. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's almost entirely uh, through sexual contact, cur- currently at least. Um, you know, these outbreaks, though, are dynamic. They're, they're ever-changing. And so if new information develops and we are starting to see the general public developing monkeypox cases, uh, it's more widespread then I think the messaging from public health or who is a candidate for the vaccine might change. Um, And that causes confusion to the general public, too. There was often a shift with uh, public health messaging around COVID as, you know, new information developed. And I think that confused people who had uh, been told one thing and then something else uh, new developed that changed the messaging. Um, Stigma is very important. And, um, Stigma absolutely affects our ability to effectively screen, uh, prevent, and treat HIV, for instance. And um, people who uh, are at risk of HIV are stigmatized because of their sexual orientation or from being HIV positive, period. And so uh, it's a challenge to, um, to have messaging that is non-discriminatory, sex-positive, all those sorts of things uh, while while making sure that the information is accurate. And that's the case with monkeypox messaging, too. Uh, we certainly shouldn't use any kind of discriminatory language um, uh, using up-to-date kind of accept, accepted terms for sexual, sexual and gender minorities, for instance, um, uh, making sure that the, uh, that the messaging is tactful, but at the same time, it has to be accurate. But but absolutely, uh, stigmatization of any vulnerable populations that are at risk is something that will prevent our ability to uh, to uh, control this and to vaccinate people appropriately. What else uh, should folks understand um, about the disease? You know, are, are there what is some first signs or symptoms, and what is a 
um, a good way to have uh, is when you say safe sex, do you mean like like abstinence or like do they need to always is it a condom use or 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 what? Uh, Sure. Well, abstinence is no sex. Right. So that's not uh, that's not safe sex. Um, But, yeah, uh, you know, essentially (laughs) condom use. There's no other way to prevent monkeypox um, other than uh, vaccination and using condoms. So uh, those would be the the two cornerstones of prevention. How to get uh, the vaccination to the general public is a challenge, too. And um, these kind of public information campaigns about the availability of the vaccine is an important strategy. Uh, cer- certainly, we already talked about who is at risk, and you know, I encourage anybody who uh, meets criteria to seek vaccination. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Brock, is there anything else that um, the public should know before I let you go? I would say that uh, the you know there can be public hysteria around out- outbreaks and uh, the general public should just be reassured that uh, the majority of people are not at risk of developing monkeypox currently. Um, you know, we have a number of people in the general public that are, um, you know, occasionally popping up with a little bump or something like um, presenting for an evaluation at an emergency department or urgent care clinic uh, with, you know, high concern for monkeypox and, um, and, Everybody in the general public needs to be reassured that um, the number of cases is low currently and that it's uh, limited to one subpopulation that we are currently um, taking public health efforts to try to uh, get the word out for prevention and to try to vaccinate. Dr. Ben Brock is an infectious disease physician at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Coming up, how the faith-based group Mission Mississippi is promoting racial reconciliation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. On a November day, 30 years ago, the seeds were planted for Mission Mississippi. The faith-based group aims to be the leading resource and catalyst for Christian reconciliation and racial healing for Mississippi and the world. Nanny Winters is their president. He talks about what it means to pursue reconciliation during a time when division feels as large as ever. We are a Christian organization, and our target audience is the Christian community because the census showed both in 1993 when we got started and today that the greatest population in Mississippi are Christians. And so we feel like if we're going to resolve that racial thing, uh, the Christian community has the greatest opportunity. But we're not exclusive. This organization has been around 20 years or more it seems like we're going backwards, some folks are feeling. Yeah. You know, actually, Desiree, we've been around since uh, 1993, so we're in our 29th year. Um, you know, back in the 60s and 50s when I was growing up and was participating in the civil rights movement, whatever it is, you know, it was like, let one generation doubt. The only his doubt is going to be better. Uh, and so, you know, 
we've not, let me just put it this way. When I say we, I guess I'm inclusive of, of most people. But there have been individuals and organizations and other things that have done differently. But I, I tend to believe as a universal and, and, and as a general practice, we're not doing anything intentionally to not pass on racism, racial strife, racial hatred, racial anger, and whatever else. And when you continue to pass that on, you know, uh, people dying off because, you know, you think, well, the younger generation will do different. Now, what happens is that we pass on legacies and we pass on stuff and we teach stuff. And, and you know, uh, people learn by looking and observing and listening to what you do and not what you say. And so at some point, it has to come to a, a critical point uh, in the process when we're continuing to doing the same thing and not doing anything intentionally not to do the same thing. So when we see things are happening and we don't say anything, I wish them it's okay. You know, back in the 60s, when I was participating in the civil rights movement and thing, that was that was an issue that uh, about race and discrimination and, and what was going on in the marching, all the things that was going on in the civil rights movement. Well, I had I had white people that was doing nothing, saying nothing, because they was afraid if they participated, they'd be ostracized just like everybody else. They would go out of business. They would lose their thing. So. Uh, I'm saying to us, we have to take uh, a stand, we have to speak up, we have to do those things that change this thing. And that can be done, in, in, in from a Christian perspective, that can be done, you know, we talked about doing it in love and all that. That can be done in a respectful but a forceful way to check folks, to get them to think different, say different. So we work hard at changing attitudes and action. We work hard at trying to get people to change their language, uh, uh teach their children, intentionally do this, not assume because I'm not racist, my kids are not going to do racist things. We're asking folks to get educated, learn but about other But do you really races, feel like you're making headway because absolutely the, the culture, uh, even in Mississippi, there's a, there's a culture of racism. You know, somebody said that it took 400 years to get out of slavery. There's so much baggage and remnants and tentacles of that and Jim Crowism that even though you don't expect or, 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 or anticipate a, a person of color, whether it be black, Asian, uh, African, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be in terms of people of color just don't include black folks when I say that so I want to make it clear but you know we sometimes participate in perpetuating the problem because we're not doing anything to try to change the problem we're looking to the governor or to the uh, a pastor or to the president or to a government organization or some kind of organization the SELC or, or the civil rights or, or the NAACP and so individually what are you doing uh, family what are you doing uh, in your workplace, what are you doing? We have to be alert and attentive and aware of the circumstances we face and do something uh, to change that. Talk about what we can do differently not to uh, put ourselves in a position of being harmed or hurt, uh, what we should do differently when we're uh, uh, confronted with a uh, political situation or the police or whatever. What can I do to move this needle forward, rather than rebelling, resisting, and doing something that's going to cause harm and hate, and really not going to move the needle. So, 
uh, doing the George Floyd and all that, you know, I took intentionality to teach, to educate, to uh, give uh, articles and, and newsworthy things. Let's talk about them. And let's understand them. Like, what are we going to do different? We can talk about what the governor ought to do or what the mayor ought to do, but what are we doing? And also, so, isn't education a part of this if you don't know the history of life experiences absolutely. of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you I, know, I got employees and board members. The first thing I do <laughs> as part of our intention of coming on, we give you a historic perspective of how we got to where we are today and what we are doing to try to eliminate that. That's the focus of what we do. So, yeah, you got to have a historic perspective. We will have more from Nettie Winters of Mission Mississippi tomorrow. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.